We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. I'm kind of, you know, if I'm not in that club, I'm at least starting to wonder what it's like in that club. And I'm at least starting to wonder and, and looking back at certain things and kind of starting to, to see things in the way they've unfolded the last 12, 16 months. And just kind of think, you know, is is the writing on the wall? Is this kind of, you know, Mike McCarthy's um, last hurrah in Green Bay? For all the great that he's done in Green Bay, um, it could be coming to an end. But, Ross, I really wanted to get your thoughts on that just because I haven't heard you say much. And I, and I don't, actually don't really know where you stand uh, with that, Ross. It's getting hard to uh, be where I've been. Uh you know, and then that is someone who had, um, you know, defended McCarthy as a top 10 or 12 coach in the league. And I think most of the time that I said that, it was accurate. But we're starting to see uh, potentially the NFL pass him by. And uh, I, I think it would be extremely foolish to fire him midseason. Uh, you know, I, I see a lot of that on Twitter about it, you know, guys talking about no accountability because he wasn't fired on Monday morning. They're, they're two, two and one. They're heavily favored to be three, two and one after the Monday nighter against San Francisco. Um, keep that. There's no reason to tank this season. Uh, you know, someone could get hurt for the Rams. Goff could get hurt. Uh, there's nothing that says that Aaron Rodgers can't win three or four playoff games in a row. Uh, and, 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 you know, you're, you're in the Super Bowl. But at the same time, I'm not sure that the long-term best interest of the, the Packers program involves McCarthy unless 
he's really able and i don't think he is uh to you know come come to grips with the need for his offense to evolve talked about ripping the entire playbook apart and and uh you know starting it from from uh, square one and it looks like the exact same playbook now he said that rogers injury has taken away a lot of the playbook getting down big early has taken away a lot of the playbook but until I really see this new offense, I'm not going to believe that it exists. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting that you say that too. And he talked about rewriting his playbook and, you know, he's almost gone, gone backwards. If you think back to, you know, 2010, 2011, you know, he had, you know, you, you would see Mike throw five receivers out there and he would want to spread you out and it would chuck the ball all over the field. You don't see a lot of that anymore. And, you know, I get a lot of that is personnel. They're not five deep at receiver anymore. But you just think about, and you said it perfectly, is is this league passing him by? And it's it's easy to say that, too, when you have these young guys like McVay coming in and you have a guy like you know, like Andy Reid reinvent, really kind of reinventing himself down in Kansas City and just really kind of going with the ups and flows of the NFL and how that works. And it seems like Mike McCarthy may be pretty stubborn um, with the what he likes to call and how he likes to call it. Now, granted, a lot of that too, um, Ross, is is the execution too. I mean, it hasn't been there this year. There, you talk about Mike McCarthy not being inventive or not being able to scheme things up. He has. I mean, there's still times where they're scheming receivers open, but for whatever reason, they have not been able to connect on those plays, and that's been evident to anybody watching the game. Uh, another thing too that you know, if you look back and kind of just trace back about you know talk about what is does does McCarthy have a pulse on this team right now and you go back to even this summer you know when Rodgers came out and and basically called the spade a spade and said hey this practice was piss poor this wasn't a good practice and then McCarthy kind of coming out the next day and you kind of pumping the brakes on that and McCarthy and, and excuse me Rodgers really being like well if no one else is gonna call him out on that I mean I think I need to call him out on that essentially is what he said and so you even look at that and you kind of say, okay, so one of two things is that, is that Aaron Rodgers then calling out his quarterback or calling out his coach and saying, you know, you are not keeping people accountable or is it just, you know, even more underneath that, is it McCarthy really losing a grip on this team? Is it really Rodgers feeling the need to say that because McCarthy's sending that message, but for whatever reason, it just doesn't seem to be hitting home. I don't know. Um, but you would, you look at this team and how, you know, it's nothing new. We've even talked about this two weeks ago on the podcast, how Mike McCarthy's teams, they, they traditionally start slow. And it's just, it's not, it's when you have an all world quarterback and I'm not going to be the, you know, the, the guy that says, you know, we're wasting Aaron Rodgers career, but you expect better. You do. Um, and I, I think there's that tweet going around yesterday that was, you know, the Packers last 47 games they are 23, 23 and one. And bottom line you know, you can talk about, you know, Rodgers was hurt for a handful of those games. He didn't play for, you know, nine or whatever, nine, ten of those games. But that's just not good enough. When you have an all-world quarterback, that's just not good enough. Um, so, I don't, you know, we don't need to spend a ton of time talking about McCarthy. Um, and, I, Ross, I completely agree with everything you just said. But it is kind of starting to get to that point where it's it's getting harder and harder to defend him. I do think if Mike McCarthy – does not coach in Green Bay next year. I do think he'll coach somewhere. Um, I think he's going to have to reinvent himself a little bit, but I think it may be, you know, we already talked about Andy Reid 
but it may be a situation like that, you know, where Andy Reid was in Philadelphia for all those years, just could never get over the hump. And for whatever reason, you know, they, they cut ties with him. He landed in Kansas city. Now he's still a very successful coach. I think Mike McCarthy um, can do that and, and may do that. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's kind of getting to that point. Um, I don't think we need to start talking about uh, potential coaching candidates yet, but one, one, and I laugh a little bit just because I would have such a hard time seeing this happen, but Lincoln Riley is like the one guy, the name that keeps getting thrown away around. And I think that's a really sexy name just because of Sean McVay. So here's another 30 something year old um, inventive offensive minded guy that, you know, let's bring him in and, and, and kind of restart and, and, and kickstart this thing. But have you, have you heard that one Ross about Lincoln Riley? I, yeah, I've heard the Lincoln Riley, and I mean, I I, uh, I don't know. I, I, that's what I struggle most with, I think, you know, in this whole thing is you can't just fire a head coach. You have to replace the head coach. And so uh, this idea that they can just get better the next day, y- you can't. You know, you, you have to have someone to, uh, you know, re- replace – Kim and Lincoln Riley is a sexy name. I, I don't hate the idea. Uh, I, I mean, you know, especially if you, you know, tell Riley he has to retain Patton, then you've got a guy with head coaching experience, an older coach like Patton that can kind of guide Riley in the things that need to be done. But I mean, who else are you looking at? John Filippo, maybe, who is, you know, rising and then you kind of copy what the Eagles are doing. Uh, you know, I, I, do you, do you love, uh, you know, Matt LaFleur? I, I don't know. It, it, it's very difficult to, uh, really zero in on a head coaching candidate that I really love to replace McCarthy. Yeah. And that's, you know, go track back and we've had the luxury of not really having to think about it for the last 13 years. But going back to when Mike McCarthy was one of the, it was, you know, Sean Payton and Mike McCarthy were the two names that were really prominent. Those are both guys that, you know, not, not a lot of people knew a ton about. And, but they both had ties to the kind of the Ron Wolf tree. And so that's kind of where I think they would go with it. And that's why to me, it's almost like, okay, Lincoln Riley, like that would be, you know, that would be a really, uh, that'd be a, a headline type of hire, but what connection does he have to green Bay? And, and, you know, maybe they don't, maybe they want to go in a completely different direction. And you know what, maybe Mike McCarthy comes, maybe, maybe they come out and, and you know, finish this season 11 and five. I don't know. Um, but a lot can happen. It's still a long season. Um, so one thing that I did want to talk about though, too, so we can get off the the Mike McCarthy horse, just because that's going to be talked about probably at nauseum the, this, the rest of the season, if things keep going like they are, um, but a positive from yesterday, one, one thing I was really encouraged with was the, the play of the two young receivers in Equinamia St. Brown and uh, Marquez Val- Valdez-Scantling. Two guys that they are just, I mean, it doesn't take long to see the type of potential that both of those guys have. Now, coming into this season, I was a huge, I think EQ was my favorite, uh, one of my favorite, or my favorite receiver they took. Um, but Scantling has been you know, he's kind of been the guy that's kind of come to the forefront of that group. What really excited me was that catch and run by EQ in the fourth quarter, just because, I mean, he he's a 6'5", 210-pound athlete, 
that just can erase angles like that. And and when you have a guy like that, that is a special trait. And uh, MVS really he showed that too on that third down catch he had where he really turned the corner and really had no business crossing. And I think that was what in the second or third quarter um, that he ended up moving the sticks. And I mean he's out running you know little tiny corners that uh, to the edge. So that that's really exciting. Um, have you, I don't know if you've done your, uh, your breakdown of the game yet, but do you have any thoughts on, especially on those two guys, Ross? Yeah. You know, it's funny that it, it, at least right away, it looks like the two late round picks are, you know, outpacing Jamon more. Um, and they, those, I think that definitely had the least questions about them athletically, you know, those were considered to be the lottery tickets, the guy that geez, maybe, you know, if they. Uh, learn for a couple years or you know they they, they uh, learn to play football learn how to run routes maybe this maybe that those are the guys that look like they're ready to play right now and it's very exciting and I think if uh, you know Jamon doesn't work out and these two do you still took three shots and 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 if you hit on two of them you hit on two of them it doesn't matter what order they came in and, and it's way too early to say that these two guys are going to work and it's way too early to say that Jamon's not but you know so so cool to see that uh level of of them kind of stepping up in a big moment and at least producing in you know where where your main concern probably going into the game at least until the injury report came out and there was going to be no Jair and no Bashad Breeland was that Rodgers was going to have to try and make it work with these rookie receivers that he clearly didn't trust yet. Yeah, and that's, you know, and I think you hit the nail on the head too, is they, they're young guys. They look like they're ready to play. Um, just watching EQ again the second time, and I, I definitely paid more attention to him. And he's still got some nuances of, of route running that he's still going to need to perfect, like any young guy. Um, for example, I mean, his feet at the line of scrimmage aren't aren't very good right now, and he can be a little bit slow to get off the line of scrimmage. And you, you saw this a couple times too. And and it's McCarthy that's taken a bunch of flack for this, and I don't think it's his fault. But more often than not, I mean, not more often than not, but there is more than two or three occasions where you look at the end of the route and you have two receivers standing right next to each other. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that that's, that's not how you draw that up. You know, so um, obviously those guys are still kind of learning, like, the, the minor details of the game. But, you know, having a guy like Devontae Adams in front of them, too, is going to be, I think, very beneficial to them. Just because Devontae, when he was a guy, when he came into the league, this dude was just, you know, fades on fades on fades. That's that's what he ran. But you watch him run routes now, and the dude is a technician. I mean, he puts on a clinic out there. So um, if there's anyone that can, you know, maybe show them the ropes, and obviously he's received good coaching too. So um, I think Devontae's shown that he's willing to do that, willing to do that. And like you said, if two out of, two out of these three guys hit, that's, you know, that's a slam dunk. And I mean, honestly, the, the two guys with the highest upside are MVS and EQ. Um, so that would be awesome. And I, I still like Jamon Moore. Um, I know back into, you know, going back to his Missouri days, I have some buddies that are big Mizzou fans and ta- they're talking to me about him. And that was really the first thing they said is, did he, has he learned how to catch yet? Um, I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> not really. Um, but Ross, uh, so going from the offensive ball uh, side of the ball to the to the defensive side of the ball, um, I don't know if you knew this, Ross, but the Packers are sporting a a top ten defensive unit right now. 
I mean, clearly they're they're you know striking you know fear into the hearts of every uh, NFL offensive coordinator. I think they're like statistically they're like the sixth or seventh team in the NFL right now. Ross, is that um, is that just an illusion? A little bit of an illusion, I think. You know, the 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 offense opponents short fields, which is incredibly unfortunate for the team, but good for uh, you know the I guess what you would call total defense statistic, uh, you know, defense statistics. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's difficult to really assess the, the defense through five games. I think they're markedly improved. Uh, they still need to get something from edge rush so, so badly. But when Breland and Jair come back, you know, they're going to be talented enough to, at corner which is crazy to think, especially from this this club. But uh, it's crazy to think that they realistically, you know, could be talented enough at corner that they could start pressuring with other guys and still be okay. I think the sky's kind of the limit for the defense, uh, especially if they add some pass rush in the offseason. But as far as winning games this year, it's going to have to be corners that win battles. And Breland is that guy, especially in press man, and Jair has been exceptional. Josh Jackson probably needs to get moved out of the quick twitch nickel roll and, and, and be allowed to play outside or be allowed to roam a little bit in zone coverage. That's his bread and butter, not trying to check freaking Golden Tate. I uh, just struggle with some of the, you know, places that guys are, are put on this defense. But, you know, they're legitimately good up front. I don't think that's going away anytime soon. They definitely need to find other places for the Antonio Morrison reps, but Martinez has been good. Clark has been amazing. Uh, Lowry really, really played well. I think maybe playing behind Muhammad Wilkerson, a little fire under him, and, and he's elevated his play, I think, to clearly starter level. Uh, I'd like to see them, you know, get the big guys going, though. Mike Daniels needs to get going. Clay Matthews needs to get going. Nick Perry started to cook a little bit and then got hurt again, which has just been the, the the song of his career. But they need to find a way to add pass rush. And I don't really see any on the free agent market. And why would you? It's week six. But um, it, it's difficult to also just say we're going to wait till next season. It is. Not, yeah, that's certainly a tough pill to swallow. And that's something that they just haven't addressed in the last few years. And I think, you know, it's really starting, it's going to come back and bite them. You know, Clay looks like he slowed down a little bit. Nick Perry looks like, you know, honestly, Nick Perry kind of always has, which is an above average uh, pass rusher and a pretty, a pretty decent guy that can set the edge, but you know, he's nothing. I mean, well, he's, he's good, but he's nothing special. This guy you like to have, but uh, you know, and Kyler Sackrell didn't, uh, that guy that showed up last week didn't quite show up this week, which uh, you know, said, you know, shocked nobody. Uh, but you know, that's, I, I agree with you. And, you know, I really liked, uh, I liked what I saw from Tony Brown in the, the couple of reps that I saw him out there. He had a couple, uh, couple of plays where he was pretty sticky in coverage and his athleticism is already showing. So that's just another, you know, for the types of guys that they have on the back end right now, I, I love that signing because he's going to be a guy that's going to be able to come in and contri- contribute with special teams. And then he's just, you know, he's really just a, a ball of clay. Uh, for Joe Witt and company to kind of kind of mess with, so be interested to see what happens with him too. Um, moving on from from that too, the last thing I wanted to talk about Ross is, uh, you know, we're in week five, week six coming up. You know, we're a, we're a quarter of the way through the 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 year already, 
college football season is in full swing. Um, I'm a big draft guy. I almost like the NFL draft more than I like anything else about the NFL season. Um, and Ross, I know you're a big draft guy as well. So one thing that I thought would be fun, just as we move forward, we don't need to spend a ton of time on it. But just if you're a Packers fan, you're just kind of browsing games on Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon, and you happen to come across some of these guys that we mentioned, uh, maybe give you a reason just to kind of stop and, and check them out. Um, one guy that I really like, Ross, um, is his name's David Sills from West Virginia. And if you follow his story, he's a big, he's a big athlete, 6'4", 210 type guy, came into West Virginia as a quarterback. <laughs> he was actually the guy that Lane Kiffin offer, offered a scholarship to at quarterback when he was like 12 years old. Um, so he came in, I think he, you know, so comes into West Virginia, gets beat out of a job, goes to a JUCO, comes back to West Virginia. Last year, he was just kind of a big, a big athletic guy on, on the outside. And this year, when you watch him, you start to see him, uh, he, he's really started to kind of, kind of refine his game uh, to an extent where he looks kind of like a receiver. So he's number 13 for West Virginia. Um, I think he would actually fit in pretty well for what the Packers do. I think he's more of a possession type receiver, um, but I think he's a guy that if you look at his trajectory and where he's at in his timeline, as far as development, I think he's very early in his development. So I think if the Packers could get him um, on the second day, that would be a really cool pick for them. But obviously we are so far away from that, but he's just a guy that I like to keep my eye on. Uh, Ross, do you have anybody that has kind of stood out to you so far and maybe you're kind of starting to, to, to develop a little bit of a draft crush on? Yeah, it's uh, Ja'Kai Polite from uh, Florida. He is really, really exciting to watch. Uh, our guy Ben Fennell really has a crush on him, and I do too. He uh, is is an edge rusher, something that they desperately need. Kind of a shorter, stockier edge rusher as as they go, but um, I, I really like the way um, that that he plays and would love i know it's kind of crazy but i i would love to see uh maybe even both positions in the first round go to pass rush i i'd like to see a guy like polite and then a really tall lanky uh pass rusher as well kind of in the Marcus Davenport mold but just the different kind of uh, body types that you can flip around the formation and and uh, really get after the passer would be something that I think would really help out this Mike Pettin defense. But uh, it, in my opinion, it's a little early to be to be looking at the draft. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And when you start talking about where and who, um, but yeah, polite is definitely a guy that if if you're if you're flipping through and, and the Gators are on. Uh, definitely tune in. He's yeah, he is. He's a fun guy to watch. He's been absolutely setting the SEC on fire too. Yeah, another guy is is Josh Allen in the SEC, not the quarterback, but the Kentucky edge rusher that I think would fit the bill for that tall, lanky guy. But like you said, we don't need to dive into that because there will be tw plenty of time to talk about the draft. Um, Ross, can I give me a prediction uh, before we go here? We got the uh, the. 49ers coming to Green Bay, Packers coming off a tough loss, 49ers coming off a C.J. Beathard 58-pass game. Uh, so what what are your thoughts on that game moving forward? Are you talking about the the, the Niners preview? Yes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, they look terrible. Um, 
they, they seem to really have packed it in since the loss of Jimmy G, which I completely understand. And, and I, I, I think that Green Bay will win that game. I think Green Bay knows it can't afford to lose that game. And frankly, I mean, you know, this is what I think is funny about the whole Lions game. And this is just a little bit of a minute, miniature rant. But we all saw the inactives list come out. And everybody had the same reaction. Ah, crap. Shoot. Shit. Man. Yikes. All these little, you know, quote tweets. And then exactly what we thought was going to happen when they were without Jair and Bashad Breland, and they were without Geronimo Allison and Randall Cobb, and they were without Jermaine Whitehead. Everything that we thought, you know, was going to happen with those guys unavailable happened. And then we act like it's the end of the world and it's time to fire the head coach. So, you know, eight days to, to get healthy. Maybe they get Cobb back. I'd be surprised they didn't get Geronimo back. Uh, Jair thought after the uh, Buffalo game, Jair thought he was going to play. So I would be shocked if he doesn't play this upcoming game. I don't know what the extent of the Breland injury is, but certainly the game, you know, after the bye, you would assume everybody's going to be kind of healthy. But, man, um, it's just not a good team. It's at home. It's in prime time. Rodgers versus Beathard, I don't think the – the talent level of the 49ers is going to be enough to cover up Rodgers versus Beathard. I would agree with that. And that's at least what I hope. And that's, that's, a, that's actually a really good rant, Roz. I'm glad you said that because you're a hundred percent right. This Packers team was missing some key. I mean, Rodgers was basically, you know, playing like going, going to battle with a pocket knife in that game. Like granted he had Devonte Adams still had a huge game, but he put up huge numbers with a bunch of guys no one's ever heard of, which is just kind of speaks to how good Aaron Rodgers is. And we could talk about Aaron for a long, long time. Um, but I'm sure other people will do that as well. And we are running out of time. So, Ross, uh, thanks thanks for joining me. Um, we will catch everyone here in two Tuesdays from now. So uh, that will be coming out after the bye week. We'll be able to kind of talk about, uh, you know, probably how healthy the Packers are looking uh, moving forward. So we look forward to that, and uh, we'll look forward to this next Monday night when we get to see the Packers take on the Niners. Uh, should be a fun game, hopefully a game that will uh, put some of our worries uh, to ease, and we can just move on from that. Uh, as always, thank you for joining us, and go Pack Go! to the right side slots it up to the left Adams and Scantling to the left side St. Brown on the slot of the right snap to Rogers fakes the handoff throws the left side of the end zone wide open Valdez Scantling touchdown and Rogers signals to the sidelines go for two power eye formation for Green Bay Rogers under center and the fake to Jones, Rogers throws right side. He's got Kendricks tumbling into the end zone for the touchdown. One yard touchdown pass to Lance Kendricks. And snap to Rogers, looking around on second down. Throws the left Whoa. side of the end zone. He's got Devontae. Touchdown. Devontae Adams, 12 yard touchdown reception. Packers jump back in it. It is 31 to 20. Rodgers takes the snap, pump fakes left, 
Goes long, left side, in the seam. He's got St. Brown circle. Roots outside the numbers, 40, 45, 50. Down the left sidelines, accelerating to the 30, and then pulls out from behind, inside the 25, at the Detroit 23-yard line. Wow, what a play that was by the rookie. My goodness, 60-yard pass play.